oh shit, season two of my pod is back called The Degenerate 75 Talks Golf with Smart People. Couple caveats. This year you can't help but notice it's on YouTube because I've kind of realized I'm a YouTube guy and not necessarily a pod guy. But for all you pod tryhards, don't you worry. There will still be there on pod. Plus, you might not want to look at my face. It probably would be better to just listen to it on pod, but it's also going to be here on YouTube. Uh, I am going to tell you this season, it's not just going to be golf. I do want to broaden it out to the Dinner 75 Talks Sports with Smart People, and that should be evident by my first guest, who really doesn't know shit about PGA, but is a dude that I've been wanting to have on because I think he makes some of the best YouTube content out there. My guest for episode one of season two is Peter Overset, and I we had a great little chat, had so much fun with him, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm, I can't thank him enough for coming on the show. I hope you enjoy this. Enjoy the show, you mother father. What's going on? You're probably wondering what the hell is this? You actually get to watch my content and it has a a shelf life of more than 24 hours. I know. But if you don't know, last year I had this in pod form called The Degenerate 75 Talks Golf with Smart People, and I decided to bring it back for season two now that I've actually caught my breath that NFL's over. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you. The first guy, maybe not the the most PGA expert, but he's a dude that I've been wanting to have on because I love his content. So maybe I'll just change the the name of the show to The Degenerate 75 Does uh, Talks Sports with Smart People because it's my fucking show and I'll do whatever I want. Regardless, uh, I'm excited. Let's get going. Uh, if you can always listen to this in pod if you don't want to watch our faces. But I would tell you, we're pretty good-looking dudes. Here we go. My first guest of season two is Peter Overset. Pete, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Excited to do this show. I feel like a lot of times I, I have my own shows, and I'm so busy that it's hard for me to come on and do guest spots. So uh, when you reached out to me, I was excited to uh, to fit this one in. Yeah, I mean, th- I will tell you, as a, as a content creator, I always hate that term. It feels a little pretentious. But I will tell you that I always want to be respectful of other people who do it because I know what a grind it is and how much time they put into it. But, man, when you're making your own, it gets hard to go uh, 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 consume other people's even when you really enjoy it. Like, I have to make a point to be like, these are the three shows every week I'm definitely not missing no matter how busy my ass gets. Are you, you, are you like that at all? Yeah, I am like, because as much as I spend so much time making content, I also love to consume content and especially, you know, the people that I listen to, you know, I consider them my friends, but I want to like listen to their pods. Like my, my buddy, Davis Maddock, I listen to all the stuff he puts out, even though I know most of his thoughts, I know how he views the world. I know his takes. It feels like hanging out with one of your friends. Uh, so yeah, I, I still consume a ton of content and, uh, yeah, I enjoy the whole aspect of it. I still remember listening to Davis Maddock for years on Pat Mayo's show. The dude, the dude, dude will talk some golf. I, uh, a name that's in my uh, in my uh, lexicon for sure. Uh, all right, so I've got to start with this one. I know that we're not going to talk exclusively PGA because, you know, like, I want to expand the show and PGA is not your area, but i got to know this. I, I, I led every uh, show with this last year. Are you a good golfer, like actual real golf? Can you, like, hit the ball in a general straight direction? So it's funny. I – um. Growing up, one of my first jobs I had in high school was I was a caddy. So I actually got a decent amount of reps because they would let us play once a week on the country club course. It was like a Tuesday twilight tea time. And so I took advantage of that. I would go out every single Tuesday. My problem was I never, you know, got proper lessons. So I was just like self-taught and I had lots of bad mistakes, but I would continue to play. Like I really enjoyed playing with my buddies. I would play, you know, I would say a decent amount but just had some fatal flaws with my swing. And it was funny because it was actually a couple years ago. I said, you know what? Like 
I enjoy golfing, but I'm miserable at the end of every round because I have these mistakes. I don't know what I'm doing. So I just ponied up. I got some lessons mm -hmm. and I even signed up for like a rec league where I played once a week for a summer. This was like three or four years ago. And now I feel so much more confident. Like I can just go out there and not be totally miserable when I play around with my father-in-law or go out with buddies and stuff. So yes, I enjoy playing golf. I, I don't have the time to like improve my game as much as I'd want, but I've gotten to a level where I can at least go out with people and not feel totally embarrassed. Have you broke 80? Uh, no, no, yeah, I'm not neither. that good. <laughs> I mean, that's like life goals is to break an 80. I shot an 82 once in Vegas and uh, I, I won't lie. I probably took like three mulligans. Uh, but you, you know what? You're with a friend. Who cares? He's, he wasn't sweating me on it. I made that fatal mistake of trying to improve my game because I was like, man, I really want to be good at golf. It's the only sport I've ever tried to be good at that I suck. And I made the, the worst, the best advice I could ever give to anybody and the worst decision I ever made. Don't go to YouTube to try to fix your swing. Everybody has these. Just do this one thing. And it, it kills me every time. It, it breaks me more than it fixes me. Have you ever made that mistake of trying to get uh, uh, ideas from a YouTube video? Yeah, it's what, what I did is when I had my lessons, I like took all these notes that he was telling me and kind of like wrote down basically like a flow chart for me of like, okay, my first thing, my stance, my second thing, my grip, and then like just these little shorthand codes that I could always then go back and remember it. I would literally like the month after taking my lessons, I'd be pulling out my phone to remember like my checklist with stuff, but it's still like, I mean, I know anyone who plays golf knows this too, but it's like a game of whack-a-mole, right? Like you dial in one thing. You're like, all right, I finally feel like my grip is good. And then right. you're like, oh, well now my backswing is all messed up because I've been focusing on my grip. So it's this never ending thing. And it is also like, I went to, uh, I was out in uh, Arizona about a month ago for the Super Bowl, and we went to Top Golf with Underdog. And like, I hadn't played in a while, hadn't swung a club, but I wasn't like in my head, you know, you're just that top golf playing around and I was swinging it really, really well, especially my irons and stuff too. And it is funny how like we, when you have, when you put all that pressure on yourself and you're like, I got to get this perfect. Mm -hmm. I got to get this perfect. That's when your game deteriorates. Whereas when I was out of my head and just relying on muscle memory and kind of having fun, I was like, oh, I can actually play if I'm just not overanalyzing everything. That's why you should always have three to four beers when playing around a golf. It is the magic number where it relaxes you, where you're not thinking, but not too much where you're sloppy. That has been my Goldilocks zone. For sure. All right. I have, I have this term and I like donkey chalk, right? It's a big part of like PGA DFS is just fading donkey chalk. And I like, I, I was for sure it was a term I had invented. It was part of my brand. I, it was synonymous with me. And I went and searched donkey chalk on YouTube and sure as shit, like three years ago, you had a stream named donkey chalk. And then I saw you wearing the donkey chalk uh, pullover. I was like, damn it. This guy's had this, this thing going on for years ahead of me. So like, I got to tell you, first of all, it's heartbroken to know that you, you, you took the best term I've ever came up with. I didn't even come up with. And, uh, the, the, the second thing I would say is like, wh where did you get donkey chalk from? Cause I, I love that term. You know, I, I, I definitely cannot take credit for it. And I, I think normally when I say it, I say chalk donkey yeah. was, uh, was the one I do. And obviously chalk has been around forever and, you know, calling, you know, the idiot, whether, whether it's at the poker table or whatever, a donkey. So I, I'm not even, I'm not going to take credit for that. Uh, maybe I happen to be the one who mashed up that phrase, but it was just, you know, it, there's kind of like a battle in DFS, regardless of the sport between the people who like to hashtag play the best plays and then the people like me who love to be contrarian players maybe we out level ourselves a little bit too much galaxy braining and so chalk donkey is kind of like the pejorative you get to toss 
at the play the best plays crew that say, hey, you guys are trying to out fancy yourself way too much. What are you doing with all these 1% plays? So it's kind of just a, you know, a phrase we keep in our tool belt to keep the cash game bros at bay. So let me just go ahead and I got to try to sell you one time because I think PGA DFS is the truth. I know you play a lot of DFS sports, but you don't play much PGA. You probably play once a year. I assume like the Masters or something. Let me tell you of all the major sports out there, being contrarian at PGA DFS pays dividends more than probably any of the other major sports, more than NFL, certainly more than NBA, because like the, 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 the people in the PGA just go with whatever the touts say so frequently. And it's such a highly variant sport that like you get to punish chalk donkeys so frequently. It's amazing. So if you're living that contrarian lifestyle, which I know you are from watching all your NFL stuff, <laughs> how is that not an amazing selling point for PGA DFS? Yeah, and it honestly, and you know, we'll talk about it. I don't play a ton of PGA DFS other than a couple of the majors, but I do appreciate that element of it because I, you know, I feel like if you come into an NFL slate and you're just blindly not playing, say, like the top 10 or 15 values, you're probably uh, going to have a really tough time because some of those guys project so well, specifically the running backs. It, you know, there are quote unquote you know, free squares sometimes with NFL. Whereas with PGA, like you said, the amount of randomness, I see it. I watch people tilt golf and tilt the cut sweats. It's like, I feel like you can pretty much fully justify fading a lot of the most popular guys, especially if they're not on the high end, right? Where it's like people, I think in general too, with DFS, like there's a psychology of it is people, there's so many options in the PGA player pool, right? And people almost want permission or to feel good about selecting a sleeper. Like no one wants to look like an idiot. Like how the hell did you play this 7K guy? And so then that's how chalk forms because someone will say, hey, he projects slightly better. He has a good course fit here, mm -hmm. yada, yada. But when you then get all that ownership condensing, it's like this doesn't actually reflect their chance to, you know, outperform this salary. And so just blindly fading that stuff and specifically in golf always seems like a good plan to me. Right. But like in, in, in NFL, Alexander Madison is going to be starting because Dalvin cooks out. Like you, you just yeah. got to play him, especially if he's like 5,500. You just, you just got to eat that one because his, you know, his, his value goes up so much, but every golfer is going to play 72 holes, maybe only 36. If they miss the cut, they're not going to get more touches. They're not going to have a higher usage. So like you can just live that contrarian lifestyle at PGA and not really have to worry about stuff like that. And, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to keep trying to sell you on it forever. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, you 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 reference this. So when you do play PGA DFS occasionally, what events do you play, and wh wh why do you uh, why do you why do you still sprinkle it in? Is it just interesting enough just to keep you? Is it just to have some money on like the majors and stuff? I think the reason why it's never like fully captivated my attention is because I don't watch a ton of golf. I don't get sweat equity out of it you know like with football and stuff just the you know i'm making all my lineup spending all week on it and then i'm going to sit down and watch six and a half seven hours of commercial free red zone um and so with golf just because i'm not a huge golf watcher i feel like and trust me i i'm plenty okay with firing off action on something and not watching it but i think that's what prevents me from just like completely going down the rabbit hole but yeah i get excited for some of the majors and stuff like that but when i do like pull up projections or I'm running an optimizer for golf. And it's partly because I don't have any knowledge on it. It still does feel like so much of a crapshoot. And it's like, I don't mind mixing and matching and playing the ownership game and making sure I don't have too high of accumulative ownership, blah, blah, blah. And my stuff, but it's like, I just don't have the, the personal level of investment or knowledge to like fully appreciate the putting together of the pieces in the way it sounds like golf fans do. Do you know who Patrick Rogers is? That is like my baseline question to know what level of player somebody is at PGA DFS. 
So here's the thing, like I'm going to recognize almost all player names, but could I spot him out of a lineup? Could I tell you one interesting fact about him? No. So you don't know any part of the game he's good at or anything? Uh, no. I, I know. I, the, the, uh, for all of you watching at home, the answer is uh, he's good at fucking sucking. That is the one thing he excels <laughs> at. That is, that is uh, he is strokes game fucking sucking, number one on the tour. I, I'm glad I didn't fall for that and try to say like, oh yeah, his short game is really dialed <laughs> yeah. in. Well, he, he's always using a short game because he sure as shit never hits a green in regulation. <laughs> okay, enough shitting on Patrick. Uh, all right, I, I one more question because I know about PGA, and then I got I'm gonna I'm gonna actually uh, 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 transition to some other topics. Best ball is something that you specifically really got me into this year. Uh, NFL best ball, fucking loved it. I have way more fun with it. It's everything I've ever wanted in life. I love the anticipation of a, a draft. I love the anticipation of pr- projecting out for a season. Uh, uh, the 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 you know, and then I hate the part of having to keep up with it every week. And best ball just solves yep. all of that. It is it is the best format ever? Whoever thought of it deserves a a fucking medal. Uh, so. <laughs> Do you think that PGA, like, would best ball ever really be good for PGA? Or is, like, PGA season long, like, it just doesn't make sense because people have never been programmed to think like that. Everybody's always thought about NFL in a week-long way, but no one's ever thought about PGA in that way. I think it's really, I think positionless sports are really hard to do for best ball. I think that's where the NFL best ball product really shines because there's positional scarcity at these positions and all these kind of game theory dynamics with regards to that. And it also allows for all these different ways to structure teams. You know, if you want to go early court, basically early, any position late, any position, you can justify that and piece together logical teams. But I think with the positionless, uh, positionless sports, it's almost more like rotisserie baseball type stuff, right? Where you're just picking the best players and that's not bad, but I think as a thought exercise, there's just not as many permutations to really capture your attention when you're in a draft, right? Because with a golf one, an underdog has some fun, you know, stuff. They have the albatross for the PGA 2023 majors and and you advance, but you, you're, you're drafting the best players, right? Like mm. that's what you want. There's certainly elements of like who's injured, who's in good form, who plays better on that. Like there's still some fun stuff, but the NFL puzzle piece is just such an interesting dynamic game that I think it lends itself for more thought and time spent, you know, trying to solve it. Plus, like the stacking week 16 and 17 games and stuff like try, trying to game stack and correlate your lineups on best ball. I mean, like that there really is just like levels of layers that I never really thought of that just wouldn't apply to PGA. Um, you know, I guess you could be trying to get the guys that are going to be playing at the certain events those last few weeks. But like, I mean, who knows? Like these guys are flaky. You don't know who's going to have a good season. Who's going to qualify? All right, you win. I'm not I'm not going to do best ball at PGA. About Wait, is, is NBA a good best ball sport? Do you do NBA best ball? It's funny you say that. So I didn't do um, – I did a couple of the season-long NBA. They they struggle with that same thing too where like the positional scarcity stuff, they do have positions obviously, but it's not quite as important of a factor as it is in NFL. But I will say I am going down the rabbit hole right now with playoff NBA best ball. And mm-hmm. it's largely because not – because I know the NBA so well, but I love the underdog playoff format. I mean, I went, I think their NFL in just their playoff format in general is the most interesting fantasy game in the entire space. I know Peter Jennings, uh, who I do some shows with thinks similarly, but basically, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you're trying to optimize for like multiple different things. Like all the money is in the Super Bowl. And so you want to have as many guys going in the Super Bowl as possible. But if you load up on eight Chiefs and they have one bad game, kind of like they did against mm-hmm. the Jags, 
you're not going to advance that team. And so there's this gymnastics you have to do of like, I want just enough firepower to advance me each round, but I also need to be able to feel the starting lineup in the final week. So I have now taken some of those concepts and really enjoy drafting these NBA playoff best ball teams. And I know nothing, but I know how to correlate a team. I know if I have a bunch of Nuggets guys and I start to grab a few Sixers that I'm going to play for a Nuggets Sixers NBA final. So yeah, I have, uh, I've started to draft a lot more of these than I ever thought I would. So is there like something cooler about best ball right now that it's also relatively new, at least it's new to me that like a lot of these strategies are still kind of cutting edge. I mean, DFS has been around legit for eight to 10 years with a lot, a lot, a lot of smart people talking about it. And it seems like almost every real strategy that's out there, especially especially in my little bubble of PGA DFS has been discussed by at one point or the other, whereas best ball, it seems like there's still like could be new cutting edge ideas out there. Kind of like what you were just talking about. Is that, is that like a real thing that it's new enough that new strategies are still popping up every year? I, I think so. And like, you know, if you compare it to, you know, I always hate using the word solved, but some of the DFS sports, specifically basketball, football, even MLB, you know, some of the, the game is played at such a high level. And you know, my co-host on Lulz, Brick75, one of the top DFS players uses simulations. A lot of these top players just have really robust, complicated processes that us normies can't compete with um, in a realistic long-term plus EV way. However, I think with some sports and the reason golf is growing so much is because it is more attractive to the casual fan. I, you don't feel like you're drawing dead going against Brick because he might be able to scale his process better than you, but you can still hand build smart lineups that can compete with his. And I think with underdog and best ball specifically, the game is still so far from being solved. And there's more tools, there's more analysis. Don't get me wrong. But if you think about every best ball mania or contest as one slate, that's literally what it is. One slate. We only have, even over the course of three years, let's say 10, 11 slates. If you include multiple tournaments, think about the number of NBA slates. We have the number of NFL slates. There's so much data that helps these giga brain guys like brick come up with really good ways to beat it. But this hasn't happened yet in best ball. And that's why I think it's so fun because we're on the wild West, the bleeding edge of trying to figure these games out. And we all have our theories. We all have our thoughts, but it's not solved yet. And there's a peer to peer real time element to it where someone can't just sit around and think about their lineup for a week. Like they can with NFL. Mm -hmm. You are also having to react to what other people are doing in the draft room. So I think, it being new, it being peer-to-peer -peer in real time just creates a game that feels a lot harder to solve long-term. I, lo I love the draft. I, I was loving the drafts. The NFL drafts, I got to where I could do six of them at a time and still be relatively focused and be able to make good lineups. But, uh, like, I, I, dude, making those drafting those lineups and uh, everything is the best, which begs the question, if you had to pick, you could never play – you can only play one of these for the rest of your life, and I feel like I already know the answer based on what you've said. DFS or best ball? you got to let one go, and you can only play the other one for the rest of your life. Which one are you letting go? So easy. Yeah, if we're FMKing uh, this, we are we are killing DFS and we are marrying best ball. It is like I, – I enjoy – like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy the puzzle piece element of DFS. I get sucked up into it every week during the NFL season. I, there's nothing more fun to me than trying to make – as high of a projected lineup as I can with as low of projected ownership as possible. It's like the funnest game for me to be like, how can I compete with just the off the radar plays? And that's why I get the, you know, the galaxy brain moniker, but man, best ball is just so fun. Drafting is so fun. There's so much more kind of real time strategy. Um, it's just really hard to beat getting to draft over and over without having to manage it. It really is a fun thing. 
as best ball grows, is that going to be at the detriment of DFS, or is there a big enough market that it will bring in new people and not hurt DFS? I, I, I don't think they are, you know, um, negatively correlated with each other because a lot of things, I think maybe what best ball ultimately hurts is season long fantasy, right? Because, you know, I draft a bunch of these uh, high stakes main event teams, whether FFPC, NFC, some of these sites, but man, like we get burned out every year doing waivers and it's fun to play for a lot of money. They had a million dollar prize pool this year, but man, is it a grind? And so when I'm thinking of what am I going to take off my plate? It's not DFS and it's not best ball because once the season starts, I don't have to do anything with best ball. I can free up my time to play DFS. But if I'm in all these season long leagues that I have to manage, well, then that's taking away from DFS. So I actually feel like best ball and DFS, at least for football, they go together really well. It's like draft all summer and then you just get to sweat your teams in the background while you fiddle on your daily and weekly contests. Plus, if you make the if you do make the final of like best ball mania, that's that's a pretty good sweat. You're like, wow, I have a one in four hundred and seventy chance of winning two million bucks this weekend. Let's go. Um, and it, it's I, it's funny you mentioned that too because I think that's going to be a big topic this year is how good the sweat is. And I think we saw DraftKings had a five dollar best ball tournament. It had over a thousand person final, or maybe it was exactly a thousand person final. And I've heard a lot of people talk, and I've agreed where it was like it's hard to even get super excited about that sweat you know if you have one bullet you know a one in 1000 chance at a million like sure that's better than playing the lottery but it's hard to get like truly jacked up for that sweat whereas like you said one in 470 or when i uh finished in the top 10 two years ago i think there was only 179 or 180 teams like you get jacked up for that sweat and so i think the operators do have a tricky thing where they want to continue to grow. They want the splashy headlines, 10 million, $20 million prize pool. But if it gets too large, you will remove the element of having a true, really cool sweat. And so I do hope that they can find a middle ground and continue to size contests in a way that make the sweat really fun. I don't want to brag, but if you want to know about my run good, I did make the, the best ball mania three uh, live this year. And who was my quarterback? Uh, Zach Wilson was my backup. He was out, but it's okay because I had Jalen Hurts, who was also fucking out. So I was dead rolling into it. So it wasn't much of a sweat, although it should have been. Uh, I think I it's, legit finished like 469. It's funny you say that because I, uh, a team I drafted with Rob Coakley, who does a lot of best ball content over at Spike Week, we were in the big dog, I believe it was, the $500 one. Mm -hmm. And we made it to the finals with a very similar thing. We had Jalen Hurts, Zach Wilson, and Ryan Tannehill, and none of them played quarterback in Week 17. So Draft three I feel quarterbacks, and you one. still can't even get one out on the field Week 17. That's when you know nope. you have a lot of run good in your life. Exactly. All right, so, so when what you did you end up finishing? Uh, what, what spot? I think legit, it was like bottom ten of the four seventy. Okay. It was bad. I I remember four sixty nine in my mind. I like didn't check. I was so <laughs> tilted that I didn't even yeah. get to play it. I like some asshole was even worse than me. And like every <laughs> stud that had been going off for me all year just decided to lay down in week seventeen. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, hey, so when yeah. you do play DFS, and this is one that I've been, uh, I'm back and forth on. I think that so many people play DFS and they they burn through their money because they go play in all these lottery type contests and they don't realize just how negative EV they're getting in their lineups, nor how negative EV the contests themselves are. Um, and so I've really been trying to push people more towards playing double ups and cash, playing in smaller fields that have more balanced payout structures and stuff like that. When you do play DFS, specifically like at NFL, which I know is where you're playing the majority of your action, are you more of a GPP bro? Are you a cash guy or is it a nice mixture? And like, how do you make the, the differentiation? Yeah, I would, I'm definitely 
middle of that line of the spectrum of like, hey, I'm only going to play 50-50s, head-to-heads, or I'm only going to just put lineups into the Millie Maker. I'm definitely in the middle in that I'm not a cash game bro. I exclusively play tournaments other than week 18, where I do become a cash game bro for one week as a as an elaborate bit. But I also try to be a little choosy with my contest selection. I'm not playing the uber small fields. There are people who have more discipline than me that are like, I'm going to only play the 200 man, the 500, because I know I'm going to be able to realize my ROI quicker. Mm-hmm. I generally, I like to play the spy. I like to play the red zone. They're like five to 7,000 person mm-hmm. contest. They'll generally have 50,000, maybe 100,000 up top. That's what kind of really gets it moving for me. And I realize that those are still top heavy contests. You can finish top 10 a couple times and still probably be a loser over the mm-hmm. course of multiple years if you don't ever win first so i'm well aware of the dynamics and how the top heavy stuff works but that's just kind of where i feel comfortable because i'm human too i want to win a big mm-hmm. score like i'm not playing dfs to grind out an roi and that's that's something that comes up a lot too because i hear a lot of people and i feel like they want to have their cake and eat it too they they want to say where's the ev why aren't we playing over on yahoo why aren't we playing on this random site and i'm like you can, you can do that. If your sole goal is playing ROI, first of all, I probably wouldn't be playing DFS. I would be <laughs> hunting out ROI and another. But you can do that. But there's a reason the rest of us aren't. And it's because all the content is around DraftKings. Uh, they have a better user interface. Even over on FanDuel, you can't even download CSVs to manipulate data. There are reasons why we get funneled to the best operator. My goal is to have fun and play on the platforms that are the most fun for me. That's what I'm optimizing for. So I never like it when people are like, well, I want to play on DraftKings, but I also want to be in the most plus EV spots. And and I'm like, there isn't a ton of soft action on DraftKings. The field is sharp. It's a trade-off I'm willing to make for the sake of entertainment. But people just need to be really honest with themselves about what their goal is. Right. That's like been like my general thesis is like DFS. uh, It needs to be fun. If like people that like just tilt their balls off and like, I hate this every week and blah, blah, blah. It's like, why are you playing? Like, I mean, like if, if you truly hate it and you're not getting any enjoyment out of it, don't play in it. I'm all about contest selection, but I'll be the first one to admit that I'll go play and and the big $20 showdown for PGA DFS because I want to chase that $100,000 prize yeah. at, at round four of the players. Even though that's not a positive EV tournament, I get fu- I have a fucking good time sweating it. And like I, I want to do that even though that contest is a negative EV tournament to be in. I understand what I'm signing up for. And if more people had that relationship with DFS, I think I think they would get more enjoyment out of it. And, and then tilt the right way. Tilt because Shane Lowry triple bogeys 18. Don't tilt because you got into a shitty contest and you have a six of six and you only min cash like that's a stupid reason to tilt yeah and the same thing happened with the underdog contest right there were a lot of people who basically exclusively played in these big tournaments the puppy best ball mania three and they're like why did i have a bad year i was doing all the things right and it was like do you know that if you are an average drafter your expectation in best ball mania is one out of every eight users who maxed the tournament 150 bullets one out of every eight is expected to make the finals that's if you're an average drafter mm-hmm. let's even just say you're above average let's say you're the best in the world and you're at your expectation is one out of every four times mm-hmm. or four maxers is going to make it in that's still 25 percent. that's still 75 percent of the time if you're the best drafter in the world you're not getting a team to the finals so you need to be really honest with yourself and it's like if your goal is ROI, play in the smaller ones. Instead of doing 10 teams in Best Ball Mania, put one in the Mitten or whatever their $250 tournament I think it, is. That's funny. You, I'm pretty sure it's called yeah. the Bulldog because I did one Bulldog, 250 yep. and that one 250, I think I got sixth or eighth place or something like that. I made more money off that than the 100 lineups I put in the big Best Ball Mania 3. 
Exactly. And so that's the thing too. And well, people go, but I love to draft and I want, I, that's an expensive price point. And I'm like, that's fine, but just know what you're getting yeah. into. You're playing a lottery versus if your goal is ROI, you'd be much better off putting that toward one entry. And it's, it's something I'm going to take to heart. I think this year, you know, my thing is I think for content, like Whenever I stream, I'm going to be doing best ball mania drafts for mm -hmm. sure. But yeah. I think when I'm getting to draft on my own without the lights in the chat and all the distractions, I'm going to be doing higher buy-in, smaller stuff. Like I do think I have an edge in best ball. And for me to realize that edge, I want to be in these smaller tournaments. But don't get me wrong. I love drafting too. I'll be at the beach drafting a $5 puppy team just because, not that it's the best use of my time, but because I fucking love drafting. But just know what you're getting into when you're playing these big contests. Yeah, the uh, the 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 best ball. I got in DFS. I've noticed when I play the, the higher limit stuff, those guys up there they tend to play way more conservative, and I can predict their moves more. Is that something that applies yeah. to best ball? Like, do you see like it's much more obvious in the twenty five hundred dollars versus the you know the best ball mania drafts you do? Like, is there any difference? Because sometimes everybody gets scared of playing the high limit players, but I actually think that there is a thing to be said about they're more predictable than other people, and you can kind of uh, leverage plays that you like even more. I don't know if that applies to best ball, but I know it applies to DFS. It, it certainly does, because I know I uh, I do a lot of stuff with Mike Leone during the season, and he'll play the Thunderdome for NFL, and that's one of his big edges, is those guys are playing near-optimal lineups, maybe a skinny stack, but they're, they're hashtag playing the best plays, where Leone is very comfortable going off the board. Some people might say too off the board, but he knows the day the chalk fails, he's going to have a really, really good shot to win. I don't see that dynamic playing out quite as much in high-stakes best ball. One thing you will notice and, but it's changed with the landscape of the NFL. It used to be that running backs were thought to be the safer early selections. Get the bell cow back. He's going to get 20 plus touches, going to get goal line carries. And Justin Herzig won the first best ball mania. Granted, that's not high stakes, but with a hyper fragile strategy, taking three elite running backs to start that strategy, I think made people feel comfier. Um, and you would see people maybe gravitating to that when the stakes went higher. However, we now have seen so much data in so much that shows that the wide receivers are actually the higher floor safer picks early on because they get hurt at a, a lesser clip. It's easier for talent to shine through. And on top of that, they also have ceilings now that can rival the former bell cows. Everyone knows Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson can do what CMC can do. So because of that more macro shift in the NFL, I don't actually see a collective like tightening up strategy or how that would even manifest in best ball. All right, shifting gears a bit. Do you, outside of best ball and DFS, do you gamble on sports at all? I guess I'm basically just asking, like, are you doing any prop bets? Are you doing, are you doing outrights, any, any stuff like that uh, when it comes to gambling? Yeah. yeah, so I, like, in the way, like, the way I approach best ball and DFS, like, I want to be getting it in good. I want to be learning. I want to be studying. I want to be, you know, always improving, looking at data. When it comes to sports betting, I am way more of a casual better. Like, I have no problem just, you know, my buddies want uh, to tail a pick'em slip, so we'll whip something together. Or my buddies want to have, like this year before the World Cup, we all said, let's pick a team to bet on just as a futures bet to sweat. We actually landed on Argentina too, which was very <laughs> fun to nail that one. And so my relationship with sports betting is much more casual. And I think one thing I do do well is I have good bankroll management. So like, I'm never going to overextend myself. Um, I know that I'm just going to get a sweat and I'm, I still like to look around line shop a little bit. I still want to make sure I'm not just like blindly punting it off, but yeah, I, I enjoy sports betting, but it's way more casual. Like if I'm going to the Celtics game, I'm just going to fire on either the over the under or the spread just to have a sweat when I go. That's, that's how I am as a sports better. What state do you live in again? I'm sorry. I don't know if that's off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, 
it's uh, very relevant uh, today. It's Massachusetts. Oh, all right, up there. So, yeah. um, uh, 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 so I live in Oklahoma, and we just we oh we had on the ballot this week to legalize weed. Failed miserably, which I thought Uh-oh. was going to be a perfect gateway because we still don't have legalized gambling here in my state. And all I want to do is fucking bet sports. Um, yeah. And if if weed's going to fail, ain't no way we're going to get around to doing gambling anytime soon. So, uh, very very disappointing for the big guy here. I, I, I apologize. Yeah, I mean, it, in Massachusetts, it had been, you know, drug out for a long, long time. And yeah, today literally is the first day that uh, online uh, sports betting is legal in Massachusetts. So I believe there's people out in my bushes right now trying to get me to sign up with their bonus codes. I got to fend them off. I mean, isn't that one of those things you can like really leverage and get like legit thousands of dollars and just free bets and win some money? Yeah, there are. I mean, that is definitely something. If you are looking to be a plus EV sports better, you have to be taking advantage yeah. of these sign up bonuses. Um, you know, some of the language around them, I actually find predatory, the stuff like risk free. And I know in some states like Ohio, they couldn't even use that language because it's mm. not technically, uh, you know, a free bet. And they had to remove some of that language. But yes, if you are getting these bonuses, you know, you are able to kind of beat the rake, so to speak, at least at the start. And maybe you can use that to build up a bankroll and then continue to grind out, you know, better bets. Why is it not risk free? Is it because like after they give you the free bet, you have to like go play the rest of your funds that you deposited first or something like that? Like what, what what's do you know? I'm just curious about the language. And I, I'm not sure on all the specific ones. I at least know over the years from my experiences with bonuses is there's often a playthrough number where you have to churn a certain amount of bets before you're even eligible to withdraw. And so there's all kinds of like little, you know, fine print and hooks on some of this stuff. Whereas like a lot of people think, oh, I just log onto my account. I deposit $25 and there's $1,000 for me to bet on whatever. And then that wins and I take my $2,000 and run off. Like it, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, doesn't, yeah they're running a business. So yeah. I, will, I will be the first to admit I'm what they call an old. Okay, I will, I'm, I'm pushing 39 this year and I have really kind of transformed how I consume content, right? I used to just be like, you know, for probably the last 10 or 15 years, I've just been a watch ESPN guy, basically like your grandpa, right? What's the YouTube and shit like that? What the hell's a podcast? Yeah. And uh, what's really transformed probably just in the past three or four years is the type of content that not only I consume, but that I enjoy. And I'm wondering if like I live in a little bubble where I am starting to see like content become very decentralized and that like, it's not just like the big four power brokers like Fox and CBS and ESPN. And it is starting to go down to more like smaller, uh, 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 you know, individual content creators or small companies that are creating content. Uh, so my first question would be, do I live in a bubble? And is that, is that something that's currently happening or is that just my little world? And second of all, like, where do you see this evolving to like, like sports content, uh, in particular, uh, even if you want to focus on the gambling part, where do you see that like going over the next five to 10 years in your opinion? Yeah, no, I think it's completely correct. I think it's it's happening everywhere, just not in sports alone, right? Like the idea of a monoculture where we all watch the same sitcoms, we all listen to the same radio shows, we all read the same Time magazine or whatever, like that doesn't exist anymore. We now have so many distribution methods for content and so many people passionate about niche subjects that you can curate your own content newsfeed however you want. It's why I can like nearly be a professional best ball streamer, an NFL best ball streamer. Like there is a niche market for that where I can make a living just doing that. And that's insane. But I do think it speaks to now how many choices we have and I think content will continue to get more niche like that. And we continue to see the toppling of some of those more legacy media avenues. And you see 
even with ESPN experimenting with the Manning cast. And, you know, everyone talks about the white whale of like, when are we going to have a sports betting simulcast? When are we going to have a fantasy cast? I mean, we talk about this on Lulz, like Brian and I always saying, like, when are we as creators going to be able to license or use the game feeds and provide our own broadcast? Mm -hmm. So if you want to tap in and listen to me and Brian talk about MMA ownerships instead of like Joe Rogan going, whoa, like after every hit, like <laughs> yeah. that is an option for you. Sure. More people are going to per, uh, prefer the latter, but we are getting to that point too, where I think people are going to seek out and consume hyper specific niche content that is only for them or only for a small subset of people. Man, I like I've been messing around with that with both NFL and PGA, just doing a Sunday sweat where like you put it on your TV, I'll put it on my TV and I'm just going to broadcast over it and give my thoughts and sweat lineups and stuff with you. And it, it actually has a pretty decent audience that will just tune in and watch me on a Sunday. Imagine if I could do that with the actual stream up behind me. I feel I feel like that, that would be like such a, a huge thing. Like I feel like that I, so many people get tired of shitty golf announcing that they would want to hear somebody that they enjoy that knows about golf and sees the golf world the way they do talking over it where they could see it on your screen that would be like a total game changer yeah and we use like um so the the show i do with mike leone and joe holka called the tilt space um and basically we would fire up a live stream in the kind of witching hour of the sunday afternoon football games to sweat our dfs teams and we've experimented with the show over the past few years and this year we tried out a thing called get playback and they actually allow that functionality where People log in with their TV provider, so it's still like you know you, you you're paying for it, so to speak. It's not just like an open stream that anyone can have access to. But then we're all synced up in real time, watching the same game, and it kind of just looks like a stream yard where you have the video bubbles and then the game. And then what was cool is you could toggle the audio, so it's like say you wanted like the main game cast muted and you just wanted our voice like as the high, you could do that. Say you wanted it like more half and half, so you could hear some of the flavor of the game and us. The problem was get playback. They have a good NBA license and some for some other sports, they lost their NFL license. Oh. And so then we had to shut it down. But I really enjoyed that because one of the things that's hard about doing a sweat show right now is we're all like watching different streams. Someone has the direct TV package. Someone is bootlegging it. Someone's watching it on sling. We're not synced up. And it just doesn't allow for like, the higher ceiling potential that I know a stress, a sweat stream has. That, 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 you just blew my mind telling me about that. They have PGA by any chance. That's a really good question. I'm, I feel like they don't because I feel like I would see other people doing it. Like I know ETR, my friend, Mike Zakarian over at team hold, they'll do NBA playback streams. I have not seen anyone do a golf one, although we should definitely look into it. They, they maybe they do have it. That would be amazing. So like, yeah. I've only I haven't even been at this for a year now, right? And and I, I'm still trying to learn lessons. And I see everybody trying to you know start up a podcast or a YouTube channel or or uh, you know be a Twitter uh, person. Everybody wants to be in the <laughs> content uh, 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 space. And you know I got my takes on that, but I'll fucking save those. What I want to ask you is like your channel has really started to take off uh, since the pandemic, and like just every time I look at your number of subscribers, because I'm, when I'm watching your content, I'm like, damn, that number just keeps growing. Like, it, it, like if what would be your one piece of advice, or I guess you could give multiple. We ain't gonna make it one that like to like trying to grow a channel, trying to grow a brand, if you want to be a content creator or something like that, because uh, you know you're one of the very few that you've already said that you are getting to the point where you can do it for a living, and I think that is a super super small minority of content creators that are in that bubble. And so, like, what would you, you know, some wisdom you would pass upon people who may want to do that, which I know there are a lot of people that will listen to this who do want to do that. 
Yeah. And I, I know this sounds like a cop-out answer, but it does really depend what your goals are, right? Like if your goal is like, I'm going to start making content with my goal being, I want to be able to do this professionally as quick as possible. Like your road is going to be a lot, lot different than mine. And the things I would recommend for you to do of like, oh, go to the platforms where there's lots of organic growth like right now, like TikTok, mm -hmm. find a niche or something that no one is covering, blah, blah, blah. For me, those weren't necessarily the interesting things that I wanted to do. And I, I appreciate you saying that about my channel. I've actually feel like my channel has stagnated a little bit growth wise. Like I, my boost to like 10 K happened pretty quickly there. And now I've kind of like mellowed out as far as like my growth compared to some others, but I'm not, and I know this sounds crazy. Like I'm not fully optimizing just for growth. I know mm -hmm. I could go record a video right now, top five players mm -hmm. to draft in underdog drafts right now. And I know that would crush whatever live stream I'm going to do this week. I know how to play the game. I know how to make that content. It's just not that interesting yep. for me to do. And so what I'm optimizing for is doing stuff that never feels like a job. I podcast with my friends. I do topics that I really like. And I engage with a community that I really, really value. There are people that are smart, that are funny, that are like-minded. And that's what I've optimized for. And so nothing I do feels like a chore. And if I was just grinding for growth, you know, to make as much money as possible, a lot of it would start to feel like work and that's fine. But I think you need to really ask yourself, what is your goal? And my goal has always been to not burn out on this stuff. And I don't burn out because I only do stuff that I like. And sure, it's a sliding scale. Sometimes making thumbnails or doing some back-end admin stuff. Is that what I ideally like to do? No, but it comes with the trade. But for the most part, the stuff I'm doing, I really truly love doing. And it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm just running to get to the top of this mountain. And then when I get there, then I'll be happy. It's like, no, I want to be happy now. I want to make the content and collaborate with the people I enjoy now. And that's that's kind of been my personal, you know, North Star or whatever. I, I, when I started last May, I literally just needed a fucking hobby. It's not good to basically be retired at 37. Human beings need <laughs> something to put their energy into. And like, I just made it like, just as a, just like, just to give me something to do. And then it's kind of evolved into this thing. And by the way, when I was talking about how fast your channel grows, I'm just comparing it to mine because YouTube refuses to share my shit. Um, so I'm growing like at this super incremental growth, but like I get really hardcore fans that will, you yep. know, roll with me. And that's nice. And I feel like you've kind of got that same thing. And that might just be like the content. The, the way we do our content might be connected to that, but I'll never blow up. Like I never get 500 new subscribers a month or a thousand a month. Like I never get that because YouTube doesn't share me. And as you said, and I love that you said this, if people want to blow up, the best thing you could do is one of two things, make those top five plays for NFL week one. Like that's number one, make those kind of things. Cause those get clicks or number two, you need to just go get on TikTok and go do little sports bets and post your winning tickets and say, hey, come fucking follow me. I only hit winners and all the fucking 24-year-old fish will buy into that shit and follow you. I got a friend uh, who lives here in Oklahoma with me who is doing that and he literally has already got up to 10,000 TikTok followers in like a month. And I'm like sitting here grinding 2,500 on YouTube at a year. Um, and I'm just it's just like another world over there. I, I think... Um Two, what's so interesting about that as well is I don't think a lot of people think about what audience they want to have. A lot of people think about that number. They say, oh, man, if I had 100,000 Twitter followers, if I had 25,000 YouTube subscribers, holy cow, I would be set. Well, what quality, what kind of people do you want to follow you? Because, again, like you said, we could go do the bet slip thing. I could turn into a sports betting towel, start giving out winners on Twitter, start doing that. But do you know what my audience would be? It would be a bunch of people that were there for picks, that are trolling me when I'm wrong, questioning my picks. That would be my relationship with my audience. So I always ask myself, at 
what cost, right? Because my audience understands probabilities. They understand ranges of outcomes. They understand game theory. And I get to have conversations with them about that. And so I am not growing as fast, but the people who do follow me are smart and they're funny and they're people I want to be around. And so it is something that gets lost of like, ultimately your audience is going to be a reflection of you in your content. And there's shortcuts and there's hacks, but there's also, you know, negative consequences to those as well. And some people are happy with that trade-off. Some people can just fire off a tweet, mute the thread, go collect their check. I like having more of a relationship with the people who engage with my content. And so that's why I've, it's just been a trade-off I've always been willing to make. So for all of you guy, hey, you guy listen to the pod or you guy watch on YouTube, you want to know why this is my first guest of season two? Did you hear that Yoda wisdom he just dropped on us? Like everything you just said there, like totally hit home to me. It took me a good six months for me to realize what I wanted uh, uh, to be and who I, who I wanted my audience to be. And uh, that was, uh, that was, that was uh, the, the best thing that I ever did was realize that, that it's not about this exponential growth or just having the most followers or the most people uh, uh, watching my YouTube videos, but it's more about who they are and what they're after. And uh, like, you know, I wish I had heard you say that uh, right when I started and saved myself six months of agony. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's tough. I And I, I get it. It's easier for me to say. Um, but, you know, when you do look at it and like I, I had been thinking about it recently, I've been writing this new newsletter and I was looking back on um, this podcast that I had made with Pat Corain and Pat Corain won Best Ball Mania 3 for $2 million. Longtime friend. I've collaborated with him for years. And going back made me realize like how long I've been doing this, how long I've been pursuing specific projects. Some have been dead ends, but then you look at the way it evolves. And when you're able to combine working on things you like with people you enjoy, even when you run into those dead ends, and I know it sounds trite, like it's, it's the journey, not the destination, but it really fucking is. Like mm -hmm. whatever carrot you think you're excited about, like would I like 20,000 subscribers on YouTube to double it? Sure, of course. But when I get to 20,000, you think I'm just going to put my feet up and be like, Nah, I'm set for life. No, then I'm going to be like, well, I want 50, right? So if you're not able to enjoy what you're doing in the moment and that process and the work itself, you will forever be miserable, <laughs> I think is kind of like my takeaway with that. So I do always try to be like, just enjoy where you're at right now. And that doesn't mean not have goals. That doesn't mean not trying to improve, obviously, but just not as the ultimate end goal because you will be unsatisfied when you hit that goal. I, every Wednesday, if you don't know, Wednesday's my crazy day because it's the day before lock at PGA. And I do my live stream every Wednesday night and all day Wednesday, I'm just getting everything ready. A lot of shit goes into making a good stream where, you know, hundreds of people are going to be watching it live and you don't want to look like an asshole. And I, all day Wednesday, I'm just thinking, fuck, I really enjoy this day. Like I enjoy this grind and this, this pressure of getting everything done. And it never feels like work, even though by every definition it is work and it is a lot of mm. it. And, uh, when, when, when you have that relationship with it, it, it doesn't really matter uh, that I, I only got five new subscribers last week or whatever that number is. Right. Cause I just enjoy the process so much that, uh, that, 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 um, I, I guess that would be not that I asked myself for any advice, but that would be my one piece of advice is if you're doing something, you're like, shit, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. Who cares about, uh, the subscribers for sure. Okay. I, uh, for whatever reason, YouTube, cause it's fucking random, put a video in my, uh, suggested of you for, it was like six or seven years ago where you were like doing the, the poker uh, thing where you oh like, the, the man video yeah <laughs> you're a funny mother father and uh, I I like that that video I was like I I guess I didn't realize your background with poker like I maybe there's not a big one but I didn't even know you were connected to poker until I saw that video like what is your background with poker and uh, I wouldn't mind uh, hearing some thoughts on poker also because I'm a poker guy yeah I mean I was 
so in high school, I, I became obsessed with poker and it was actually even right before the moneymaker boom. I think I played my first Hold'em tournament freshman year of high school on New Year's Eve. That would have been 2001. Mm -hmm. um, so it was still a few years. So my buddies and I started playing. And then, of course, the moneymaker uh, happens. And then that just sends us all into euphoria. So I was playing a ton in high school and mainly just home games with friends. I actually just told a story the other day on my stream where I was like grinding out um free bonus bets on pacific poker because basically every 10 accounts you created they would give you ten dollars of real money to play with but again talking about the rollover thing you couldn't withdraw it unless you got to 200 so me and my buddy would just create hundreds of these accounts try to run up ten dollars to 200 and then have a check mailed to our house and we spent an entire summer doing this so yeah i was always obsessed with poker um then i went to college and kind of went away from it black friday happened um you know i'd occasionally go to the casino and play some cash games or whatever um, but then when I started doing content again, I, the character was this first thing that I did. It was this Pete Manzanelli character. And the origination of that was, I knew I wanted to start making video content, but I, at the time I was like, could I do this as myself? Could I be like an analyst or talk about it? But I was like, so many people are doing that. I want to do something unique. And I have a, a background in improv and doing some comedy. And so I was like, let's do like a spoof character of a DFS bro, cocky sports betting guy. And so I'd made some videos, done some stuff with Levitan and Bales. And then I was like, you know what? Um, I was going to Vegas with my friends and I was like, this character would totally be like an old school poker guy as well. And so that was the first kind of like departure from DFS content I had done with the character. And I was like, I'm going to shoot this vlog. And this was also coinciding with like Andrew Nimi and Brad Owens and the rise of poker vlogs. And so Andrew Nimi like had really taken off at that time. And so I was like, I know the exact format I want to spoof. And I love Andrew Nimi. I love watching poker vlogs, but I was like, this is so ripe for spoofing. So that is like the the quickly condensed version of how that vlog came about. How much, how much poker are you playing in your life these days? Not much like, um, you know, I go for a bachelor party and we go to a casino and I'll play there or a home game every now and again, stuff like that. I have actually haven't even been to, um, you know, there's the new win casino here just outside of Boston. I haven't gone and played there yet. It's just one of those things where like I enjoy it. But now that especially that I have a kid, like how can I? I can barely free up 30 minutes to go exercise. I can't steal away five hours to go put in a poker session. So it's just not a, on the top of my priority list. Truth. Truth. I don't even have a kid and I have a hard time finding uh, time to get poker in. So I can't imagine you. Uh, you said improv background. For whatever reason, I've always thought you had an improv background. Can you? <laughs> I, I would love to hear more. Yeah, that was like. Uh, it was kind of the precursor to how I actually started doing content because the first fantasy related piece of content I did was a show called the Fantasy Football Comedy Hour. And I did it with guys I met here in Boston doing improv. So I moved out here in 2009. My wife's from here. And I was starting to be like, you know, I need to find some ways to meet people. Um, decided to take an improv class. I had some kind of natural chops for it. And I did that for like four to five years. I was on a touring company um, here in Boston at one of the theaters, Improv Boston, and got to collaborate with a lot of people. And then I found this subset of friends who are really funny, but also love fantasy football. And we're kind of, you know, the way the theater works is people are always pitching shows like, hey, can we do a four week run of this concept or whatever? And we all had the idea, like, let's do the fantasy football comedy hour and do like sketches and specific comedy about fantasy, which is like, a really dumb idea because the random person going out in Cambridge who wants to go see comedy, like they don't care about fantasy football, but we were all passionate about it and we had plenty of jokes. So, you know, that was my first foray into all of that, but it also gave me the confidence to do a character like man's and, you know, everything from, 
my experience doing improv, like it still bleeds into everything I do today. And I, I literally would not be doing content full time if it wasn't for improv for multiple reasons. Wasn't there a show on FX back in the day? Was it the league or the something league? like that? Yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, I was like, this show is so far ahead of its time. Like talk about being niche and like only appealing to certain people, but those people, it was, it was a funny ass show. Like to this day, I'll still go back and watch some clips and laugh out loud at them. Yeah. And that, that show had some, um, improv elements mm -hmm. to it. And one thing too, is like all of the performers, um, or the actors, I should say, in that show, Paul Shear, Jason Manzukis, those guys are all classically trained improv people. Some of the funniest improvisers you'll ever see. I've gotten to see them a few times at this. Um, there used to be this marathon in New York at the UCB Theater. That's where people know, um, like Amy Poehler and Matt Besser. And so you could just go in a, you know, a musky, dark theater and watch Paul Shear and Jason Manzoukas do improv. And these guys are like, everyone knows they're funny actors, but like seeing these guys on their feet with no script, it's, it's incredible. So yeah, it was no surprise to me that the, uh, the league was successful in that regard. All right. I got two more topics back to gambling. Uh, I, I, as I've gotten older and I get more set in my ways and I realize who I am as a person, I've kind of realized that like, I don't ever watch sports unless I have actual action going on them right like i got to be gambling on them whether that's dfs or best ball or whatever it is i can't just sit down and watch a game maybe a little college football but that's just because i live in oklahoma and that's you know that's god around here um do you like can you get into sports if you don't have money on it like are you just a true you know you love sport you can watch it no i'm yeah i'm the i'm the opposite um like ever since fantasy like traditional fandom was ruined for me i grew up in denver so like growing up I love those Nuggets teams with the Kembe Matumbo and Lafonso Ellis and Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. I love the the Rockies, the Blake Street Bombers in the 90s, obviously the Broncos team that won its first Super Bowls with John Elway in 97, 98. Like that was a peak time for me as a sports fan. Like I ate all that up. Colorado Avalanche winning their first NHL. But once I discovered fantasy and slowly went down that rabbit hole, I found myself caring less and less about the teams to the point when the Broncos beat um, it was when they beat the Panthers for that Super Bowl, mm -hmm. and I'm even blanking on the year, but people were texting me like, congrats, and I'm like, got to be completely honest. I don't feel anything. Like, I was right. not emotionally invested in this team. I'm, I'm invested in my fantasy team. So, yeah, I'm definitely more of I enjoy – the content, I enjoy the sweat. I enjoy the puzzle pieces of drafting, of strategy. Like, that's my enjoyment with sports. And I actually don't even watch all the sports that I bet on. You know, like, yeah. I, I made some <laughs> MMA lineups last week and fell asleep before the main title card, which was the best fight. So, you know, I'm just never going to be someone who's like, I got to sit down and watch the whole stuff. Football is really the only thing that I consistently watch. I'll watch Red Zone every single Sunday. That's really the one sport I don't want to miss. Dude, the Thunder, even if the Thunder did get good again, because they were really good 10 years ago, when I was in, I could just enjoy sports without DFS or gambling. Even if they got good again, I don't think I'd watch a single fucking game. I just, I can't get into sports unless I have some money on it now. And uh, in my piece of shit state, that basically means DFS, right? So if I'm not playing yeah. the DFS sport, I'm not watching it. Like I legit couldn't tell you I, I couldn't tell you uh, who is leading the NBA standings right now. I have no idea who's in first place. I, I couldn't even probably tell you what team Kevin Durant plays for. I would assume the Suns, but I don't even know. Is that where? Yeah, it, he is on okay. the Suns. The only reason I know that is because I've been drafting him in my NBA. <laughs> okay, that's see, that's contest. so we're yeah. in the same boat there. Fuck, fuck yeah. sports if I ain't got money on it. All right, uh, let's see. Sports that you think are dying off. This is just a topic that I that I always want to talk about because I have takes on this and they seem to really offend people. What do you think that there's some sports that like are like facing death in the next 20 years in America? 
you know, like for me, like, you know, horse racing, uh, 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 bowling, sports like that, they really <laughs> seem to be like on the out and out. Like, they, you know, like the, the, that group of people, baseball will never die, but it is dying a long, slow death, at least in my perception. So I just want to know, like, you know, and to me, PGA is growing, which I don't even know if that's a it thing. Is, that just yeah. That might just be me wanting to believe that. So uh, what are your takes on that? Do you think any real sports are facing death in the next 20 years? Or do you think that uh, if not, which sports do you think are kind of dying a very long, slow death right now? Yeah, I think like if if I didn't know any better or I wasn't like super plugged in, like even with my discord, I would have, you know, been like baseball, you know, no one cares about it. They, you know, they're militant with the distribution of highlights and young kids don't want to watch the sport. It's too slow, blah, blah, blah. And then you go in my discord and one of the most active channels in my entire discord is the um, underdog best ball baseball contest for season long right now. I mean, there are some of the most like, uh plugged in fans i've ever seen like these guys are pouring over everything i'm like holy cow baseball is alive and well and it makes me realize everything i think coincides with action and betting and fantasy like that's where these sports are going to continue to grow or continue to die and why it's so backwards when this when the the leagues aren't willing to embrace this more because ultimately that's going to fuel interest with all this stuff so yeah i mean i don't know if it's fair to compare like bowling and curling to some of these major sports but the sports that continue to figure out how to lean into action and fantasy in sports betting i think those are going to be the ones that win long term what about hockey i feel like hockey's going to die but like i've been saying that for 20 years and it still seems to be doing just fine i, I don't you live in more a hockey part of the the united states than i do we don't even know what the hell hockey is here yeah uh man i could see you know, hockey is one of those sports where I don't play fantasy, although I have been doing pickums on hockey because there's this guy, DJ Mitchell. I got to shout this guy out. He does these pickum slips for underdog. And again, I'm never doing financial advice or whatever, but this guy is, he's, I don't know if he's incredible. I don't know if he's just on a heater, but this guy knows how to put together these hockey pickums. But um, that's really my extent with hockey. And again, going to show, I had, he had a four out of five leg one on underdog last night that was live going into an overtime match. It was the, uh, Pittsburgh and the Islanders. I pulled up a stream to watch the end of that hockey game because I needed one more shot <laughs> to hit a $25 to $500 slip. That's, I am never watching hockey ever. And that slip got me to locate a stream and pull it up. So, you know, again, would I ever be interested in that sport otherwise? No. Um, will I go to a hockey game and enjoy it? I think in person hockey is one of the funnest things mm -hmm. you can go to. But yeah, that. it's like, we all are pulled in so much attention now. And it's like, I would rather watch a stream talking about NBA playoff best ball strategy than watching an NBA game itself. Mm -hmm. That's just like where I'm at personally. I know other people might think that's insane, but that's just kind of where I'm at and how I like, you know, enjoy and consume sports. Yeah. Uh, I think you kind of answered the question. Like you made me realize the answer to the question that I asked that like gambling might be the lifeblood that a lot of these sports need. And, and you know, I use that example of horse racing. People are gonna be like, who the f horse racing was one of the three biggest sports in America, like up until the fifties, it was a big deal. And it's just been don't yeah. dying a slow death. And I think what used to make it so popular is it was the one sport that was encouraged to bet on because Americans just have an innate uh, interest in betting. And now that betting is becoming so much more popular in other sports, I think it's going to give a boost to those sports PGA, which is, you know, I'll be the first to admit I have a bias towards, uh, but a, a lot of other sports I think are going to find a, a breath of fresh air as gambling continues to grow and sports that you've historically bet on are going to die because that action is going to be leaving there and going towards these other sports. Just my hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Like you said, it'll all be like a long, slow 
you know, bleed. None of these things are going to go away overnight. But yeah, I mean, sports like baseball and, and hockey definitely have more unique challenges uh, than the NFL and the NBA do. For sure. All right, last question. Let's get out of here with this one. What is your favorite gambling movie of all time? So this goes back to the poker one. It's got to be Rounders. Ah, right? you mother um, father. Yeah, I like. I had a stretch where I was telling you in high school um, where I would just play all the time. I think my buddies and I had a stretch going into our senior year where we had 55 days in a row where we played like just one of us would host at our house. We'd come over, play tournaments. And we would also host like bigger tournaments, maybe like once a month, like one of us would be like, mom and dad, can we get 30 people in the garage for a poker tournament? And my routine before all of those tournaments was to always watch rounders. And because I was, that meant I was watching the movie rounders like at least once a month. So it's the movie I've seen the most times in my life it still holds up. Like if I catch it on or like you're flipping through on a plane, I will still watch rounders. It's that good. I, I'm not exaggerating. Probably seen it. I don't know, 60 to 70 times. I it's, it's the best. I, I, I know it for a fact I'm over 300. I, I, I like, I make myself watch it once a month. I just, I just, it's just the most perfect movie. I will, I'm always tell people this. It is not the best movie ever made, but it's the best no. movie ever made to me. Like I just, it's just the yeah. perfect movie. Everything I want in a movie it has, which I have to ask, cause this is, this is important. If you had to pick one scene, what's your, what's the one scene that you got to watch from rounders, man, uh, <laughs> I know that's an I unfair question. Like, when they go to, um, like I love the scenes early on when they're going and playing with the the worker guys at like the uh, the VA or whatever where they just got their check and yeah. it's basically trying to see like how much can they get away with when he was dealing off the bottom of the deck and like the stakes in that scene just feel really really high and them just getting upset at each other with like wanting to play it clean and realize their edge versus really trying to blow things out of the water i think that scene uh always holds up caught a hanger sarge well, well, hanger. Exactly. what the hell all right hey guys i this is season two of uh I, degenerate 75 talks sports with smart people this guy right here peter i appreciate you being here i want y'all to know that this guy of everybody that doesn't do pga dfs he is the one guy on youtube i always watch his content i swear by him uh go check him out peter why don't you tell the people a little bit about where they can find you what you do and then we'll get I'll, we'll get out of here Go ahead, brother. Yeah, uh, I'm doing. I do lot. I do lots of stuff. The main two things uh, you can check me out on my YouTube channel, which is just YouTube.com/slash/PeterOverzet, and then I do a lot of stuff over at Fantasy Life. Um, so I write um, that newsletter, and it's a free newsletter, more generic fantasy stuff, but we will go in depth on on best ball, and uh, now obviously with free agency stuff, lots going on over there. And then to my uh, one of my new little projects that I'm enjoying is I started up my own weekly newsletter uh, called the PO Box. And that's just a Friday newsletter, something that's on my mind. I round up some of my streams, some stuff I'm enjoying. And uh, yeah, have been enjoying doing that. So if you want to check out YouTube, Fantasy Life, and the P.O. Box, I'd love it. Guys, if, if best ball season rolls around, it's August, and you're not checking out his channel, you need, to, you need to go run into a brick wall full speed because you don't know what you're missing. Peter, thank you again for your time. Everybody, I hope you've enjoyed it. We're going to do at least seven of these, and then I'll probably bitch out again like I did last year. But I will be doing this, and this year you get it in pod and YouTube. We'll be seeing you around, guys. I hope you enjoy this outro. <laughs>